Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm very excited to fill in for Raphael. He's actually in the airport right now on his way to get married. So if you have an opportunity, wish Raphael a congratulations. Uh, his wedding is actually this weekend, and uh, I'm sure it's a, a big day for him. So my name is Chad. Uh, I've been I've known Raphael for quite a while now. Uh, I've been a guest on his show. He's been a guest on my show. He's guest hosted for my show. And now I have the honor of guest hosting for his show. And I'm very excited for this week's guest as well. Uh, Davon Reeves, the hotel queen. Thank you so much for joining in on this call. Oh, thank you so much for I can't see myself. Not yeah, yet, we, you mean? we had a bit of a lag there. Is it there we go? Perfect. All right. Yeah, thank you so much for thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk about all things hotel, because I think that that's a bit of an abstract topic that a lot of people just don't know about, even though everybody right. that's going to be listening to this has stayed in a hotel, we're all familiar with hotels, there's very few people that are actually knowledgeable about the hotel oh, investing business. Yeah. So right. I, before we even jump into that, and I want to get your thoughts on what happened during the pandemic in the hotel industry, I want to get your ideas of what's happening today, and then some what's going to be happening in the future. And then I also want to just talk about investing strategies. But before we get to all that, I just want to get some of your background on how you got into the hotel investing business. Yeah, so in the hotel investing, so actually, my journey started working as a front desk agent at the iconic Hyatt Regency Atlanta. And at the time, I didn't know anything about hotel ownership, right? Just like, you know, I knew you could say the hotel. You just didn't think anything of it. Thought Hyatt, or I thought the respective brands owned at the hotels. And so fast forward to 2013, after I graduated from college and everything, I wanted to get into the hotel ownership side. And because that's how I found that you can actually own a hotel, but there really wasn't a pathway. Like it wasn't like, you know, LinkedIn Lives or, you know, a show like this or, you know, YouTube University and podcasts to really educate you to, to get you in on into the path to hotel ownership. And so I took a non-paid internship and I worked for a consult, hotel consulting firm. And so that was my introduction to hotel ownership. Uh, asset management feasibility study. So I was there for about three months, worked there in the morning, worked at the Hyatt at night so I could pay bills, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, after about three months, that's when I decided to uh, stay full-time at the at the time, Horwath HGL. And I was there for about two years, left Horwath, wanted to work for a larger company. So I moved to Boston and worked for CHM Warnick, which is, which is probably one of the largest third-party hotel asset management At that time, I was over. I was I was assistant overseeing um, a portfolio over a billion and billion dollars in hotels. And so again, just working directly with the hotel owners, advising them, and really understanding those you know those types of uh, transactions, right? Which led me to today. So that was my introduction to hotel ownership. Was actually working for firms where our clients were hotel owners. Very interesting. So. Yes. Fast forward to today, you've gone through that learning curve of, of working in the hotel to now uh, where we are having gone through a full pandemic where hotels were forced to be shut down. What, what does the hotel industry look like today now that restrictions have all been relaxed, people are free to travel? What Perhaps even take me back to like that 2020 when 
when everything was forced to shut down? What did the hotel industry look like uh, during the pandemic? Well, it depended on the market, right? Because Florida was open. So Florida was booming, right? Because there wasn't, there weren't any restrictions, same thing with Texas. So you see those markets that didn't have any COVID restrictions, they actually performed extremely well. Uh, they were actually better than pre-pandemic levels, right? We're staying there and it was open, right? Probably the only place open were the places near Disney World. Disney World was closed, but Miami was a hot spot. Everything else was a hot spot, right? So, but there were some, there were a lot of hotels that they had to close, even. Big box hotels. So what that means, a lot of those convention hotels, because what the industry is based off of the, the economy, in the, you know, the U.S. economy or the world economy, right? The first thing that typically gets cut is business travel, right? Not leisure, but business and then leisure comes, right? Because companies are like, okay, we can't afford for you all to travel, so we just put in a hold, right? And so a lot of the major, a lot of the, excuse me, the larger hotels just couldn't, couldn't stay open and it wasn't enough leisure demand to support it. And a lot of the cities that put COVID restrictions were they, unfortunately, the hotels, they, you know, they didn't have people to stay in the hotel to, you know, maintain the mortgage or the debt service. And ultimately they had to, to close and, and, and give back. So you notice the markets with leisure, the hotels with more leisure, meaning people who were just traveling with their, their family or just kind of wanted to get away. Those hotels did okay. Uh, some hotels, they were creative when it came to their strategies of filling up their hotels where, you know, where people, they needed to, to work remotely, but they couldn't work at home. And so some folks were setting up shop at hotel rooms. So those hotels did okay. And also the hotels that did better than others would be the, the sector, right? So you have the economy. Economy is like a super aid, you know, travel lodge. Those types of hotels are economy hotels. So meaning it's a leaner labor model, um, leaner expenses. So it doesn't have a food and beverage outlet. And, uh, you know, limited service and select service. Uh, even though economy is a lower rate, but, you know, folks who were still staying at those types of hotels, um, um, extended stay hotels, they have kitchens, they have, uh, you know, place, uh, it's, it's kind of like a mini apartment or studio. So some of those folks were staying there for especially like traveling nurses and, and people who, you know, unfortunately they, had, they, they couldn't stay in their, their house. I mean, and so they had to move to an extended stay property. So those hotel, those types of hotels performed okay during COVID. Uh, that's why a lot of real estate investors now, they're starting to buy a lot of the uh, limited service, select service and economy hotels and extended stay hotels. So would those be more for people that are like longer stay or is it just budget decisions that they make? They just need something more affordable. What is the decision? Well, the economy would be more budget. Yeah, the economy will be more for budget, affordable, you know, very bare bones, you know, you're just, you're not really getting any thrills. It's just a room, you know, a bed in the bathroom, right? That's what you're getting. You know, you're not getting, you know, breakfast, you know, you're not going to double tree and getting a cookie, you know, you're just not getting any of that when you're going to an economy hotel. Uh, extended stay hotels are for longer stay, right? So you'll probably get, depending on if it's an economy, limited extended stay, but let's say I have a home to suites, right? So what you'll get in a home suite, you'll get a break, you'll get complimentary breakfast, 
you know, Staybridge Suites. I have a Staybridge Suites. You'll get a manager's reception on certain days. And then also you get complimentary breakfast. So those have kitchenettes and those are for people who want to stay longer. Can you walk me through how ownership of a hotel would look from both the standpoint of the economics that go into it on how you're how you're building out your pro forma and your model, as well as just the management element of it. Because I, I think a lot of people that are traditional investors, whether it's investing in commercial real estate, or even investing in, in a house or multifamily, you buy the asset, perhaps you get an external third party manager. And and that's the extent of it from a high level. But is hotel a lot more hands on because you're talking about having all the staff there. So someone has to oversee the, the housekeepers, they have to oversee if there's any kitchen staff, the front desk staff, Like, what does that ownership model of a hotel actually look like? So you actually hit it right in the nail, actually. So it's so hotels is it's a type of commercial real estate, which a lot of people don't realize. So but what makes it different and sexier than a lot of other assets is that you're owning the not only are you owning the real estate, but you're also owning the business. So that adds a level of complexity to it, right? You have to understand how the hotel business operates. So as far as, I, I know you asked several questions, so I'll kind of walk you through it. From a performance standpoint, you want to see how the business operates, right? So it's three, three major metrics that we look at in the hospitality industry as far as, or KPIs, key performance indicators. You have occupancy, which is the percentage of your rooms that are occupied in a hotel. You have ADR, which stands for average daily rate. So kind of gives you a, an idea of all the different rates that, are gonna have, that, that you have in a hotel. So AAA, you know, OTAs, which stands for online travel agency, all these just different rates, right? And then you have REVPAR, which stands for revenue per available room, which is a calculation of combinating, um, multiplying occupancy ADR. Just really a REVPAR just, just gives you an indicator of how healthy your hotel is performing. And so you'll use that to see um, along with profit margins. Um, so from a performance standpoint, if it's a, if we're talking about, I'll do two scenarios. If we're talking from a, a, an existing hotel and it's just a true straight acquisition, you want to see how that hotel previously performed, right? So based off how that hotel previously budget and how it's in and how it performed against the market previous historically then from a performance standpoint you would uh you know based off the market any new supply coming in um if the hotel needs any renovation and also depending on your investment strategy you will perform based off of that right how it's performing against you know that coverage um that service coverage ratio from a cap rate standpoint, typically hotels have a higher cap rate and depending on the market, the cap rate will fluctuate. So you look at those things um, and from a valuation, right? Um, excuse me, from a, from a pro forma standpoint to see, okay, how much, how much this hotel is expected to perform, you know, based off the historical performance. That's from an acquisition. From a development standpoint, if it's a new hotel, you don't really have anything to base. You don't have any history because you're developing a hotel. So you see how that that market performed historically, or you can check to see from a performance standpoint how the other hotel, how similar hotels that you're trying to develop performed in other markets. And so based off, you know, inflation, you know, based off what the, the market is projecting, then that's how you would pro, that's how you would pro forma and, and see um, based off those, those three metrics. And the PL was a little different too. 
from a hotel standpoint. So we use what's called USALI, Uniform Systems of Accounting in the Lodging Industry. And so it's broke, because when I look at other P&Ls for different industry, it just looks different. So we break it down from, because we have so many different expenses. So we have rooms. Um, and then if you have a hotel that's a full service, then they'll have food and beverage, <laughs> spa, you know, uh, you have meeting space. So it's a lot of different layers, uh, you know, where it's, so from a performance standpoint, that's how you would look at it. So as an investor, are you looking at it as like two silos so that you have like the real estate on one hand and then you have the operating business on the other hand, or are you looking at it as just one joint investment? It is one joint. Yeah, just one joint, you know, looking at equity, you know, equity multiplier. And really a lot of that is from the, so an example to make it easier, right? So let's say you have an independent hotel, right? Okay, you see an independent hotel. And so the independent hotel, same market, you know, numbers, probably, you know, then, you know, probably comparable to the Marriott next door. That Marriott valuation may be a little higher just because it's the brand. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because it's the same real estate, it's the same dirt. But just because you slap that brand on it and you improve the performance, now you add it to the valuation. So from a valuation standpoint, you do have to look at both. Uh, but the business is probably, so it's three things, right? So it's three things that makes a hotel successful and also based off the valuation, right? So you have the location, which is the real estate, you have the brand, and then you have the operating business. So those are the three things that you that that you really want to look at. The lenders typically look at, and, and just like the basis from a valuation standpoint, that's what you look at as well. So could you give me some ideas on if if you look at all three of those, can you give me an idea on how you come up with a value for each of those? Yeah, so of course, it's real estate. So you look at the different comps and how it performed other, you know, other similar hotels. Uh, you also look at the cap rates. Uh, you lock, also look at the C, um, the, the, the equity multipliers or revenue multiplier. So let's say someone says, oh, you know, uh, this hotel, I'm selling it you know, for, for 4 million. And then the, their revenue was like million. So it's like a two X, two, two X revenue multiplier, like see if it makes sense. And again, it's going back into that location brand and operator. And also it depends on your strategy. So let's say you wanted to go in a buy a hotel. I'm gonna use this example again. So let's say you wanted to go in a buy a hotel and let's say you want to do it as a value add opportunity. So you'll go in and buy an independent hotel, right? So maybe this is an exterior corridor, meaning the hotels that enter from the outside. I don't know if you maybe kind of visual see what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so let's say you it's an independent hotel and you add a choice brand to it, right? So maybe you turn that into a um, econo lodge. I'm just making this up. So and then you bring and then you change the operations. You you know you renovate it. You bring it up to brand standards. So the choice brand standards. You bring in a really strong general manager to operate it. Now you just added a significant amount of value and valuation to that particular property if you look at it from a value add standpoint. So now you'll be able to sell it at a higher amount if you and then if you would have just left it at it as an independent and not add a brand or anything, brand or anything to it.
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So from a management or oversight perspective, like you said, you're going to bring in a general manager to oversee that. Where is your responsibility as the owner? Like, are, are you following up, like looking at your daily counts to see what your occupancy rate was? You obviously have to keep an eye on your general manager. Where does your management, like how, how involved do you have to be, I guess, as an owner? And it all, it all depends. You know, there are some ownership groups that they never check on a hotel. They never look at it. They never look at the P&L. And you can tell at the hotel, right? That's just like any real estate that you have if you don't check on it, right? Um, definitely want to check on the numbers. Definitely want to check on the, the general manager or management company who's ever operating your hotel. So I, I look at it as this. A management company is like a nanny for your child, right? They're going to do their best to keep that baby alive. But <laughs> but nobody's going to take your care of your child like you are. Right. You know what I mean? They're just no one is just going to do that. And so that's the same thing with your asset. Nobody's going to take care of your asset like you are. And so it also depends on how well you want your your asset to perform. Right. And how much you want to take care of it. So go on to those properties. So we go take a look at our properties four times every quarter. Uh, we talk to the management company a lot. Uh, we get, you know, daily reports, we get weekly emails, we get monthly reports, we get quarterly reports, we have quarterly meetings. So we're very involved um, within the process of, of, of the hotel. And again, that's where my asset management experience comes into place. Really look. So that's why I'm able, I'm in, I'm here in Atlanta, but my three, I have two hotels in Indiana and I have one hotel in Oklahoma. So that asset management experience comes into place where you set up systems where you can manage the hotels from abroad. Now, I wouldn't recommend that for a first hotel, first hotel hotel owner. I recommend for somebody to, you know, if they don't have any experience to get a hotel, there's probably no more than a four-hour drive. So that way you can, you know, check on your property. You know, if something happens, you may have to show up. Now, if you do an owner-operator, something may happen and you get the check-in guests and, you know, if someone calls off, one of the benefits of having a management company, if someone calls off, then since you're paying them a fee, then they'll, they'll, they'll bring in somebody to, to, to handle the, handle that for you. Yeah. Well said. I love the nanny analogy as well. They'll, they'll do enough to keep your child alive and then anything else is just kind of a bonus, I suppose. There you, there you go. Uh, so I, I want to dive into a little bit on like some of the challenges on running a hotel, because from my perspective as a layman, I'm I'm in the industrial side. And I think that there's some comparisons because it's difficult for people to just un think that they can understand what industrial real estate is. I think it's very similar with hotels. It's very difficult to just think that you can go and invest in a hotel when you're you're kind of peeling back the onion on this on that it is it is complicated uh i think you're obviously a big advocate of it so there's a lot of reasons on why you love that asset class but there there are challenges i'm sure as there is with any real estate how has certain things like airbnbs and even yeah it probably makes you cringe when i even bring that up uh, i just get that question out of time yeah and then the other one that i was curious about is just all these travel websites which try to direct all the traffic to oh, them and then you book yeah. through yeah and then they take a, a fee i'm sure of, of your earnings for that how has that challenged the industry over the last several years well when it when airbnbs first came out uh the hospitality industry or, you know, the execs, they, you know, you know, they thought it was going to be a fad, still here. Same thing with the OTAs, it's still here. Now we're forced, 
with the OTAs to, you know, give them a share of our of our um, revenue or the, or the rate. With Airbnb, I think we it's still a threat, but it's not like a, it's it's like a threat that's not going away. It's not like like a lot of people think that Airbnb or short term rentals is going to take over hotels. I don't agree with that. Matter of fact, I went to a short term rental conference and it was at a hotel. So, <laughs> I mean. I mean, you know, so I don't think it, I don't think short-term rentals, I don't think it's going to go away. Um, I think it's going to be here forever because people, there's a different, people are traveling and they like that experience. And then there are people who are making money off of it, right? So I, I do see more and more people not wanting to stay at Airbnbs or short-term rentals anymore because the fees are getting ridiculous. And they're taken away from that experience, meaning I've seen it where, you know, folks are staying at Airbnbs and they have to literally clean up still and plus pay a service fee, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, well, you don't have to do that at a hotel, you know, so that's one of the benefits of staying at a hotel. Um, so that's what I see as far as the OTAs. I think we got a handle of it. That's one of the benefits of being a part of the brand you know, or being a franchisee that you may not have to pay high in this when it comes to franchising. Um, I mean, OTA fees, I don't, that's not going anywhere. Uh, it's just something that it just has to deal with. Some hotels even put their their rooms on OTAs, right? Some hotels put their rooms on, Air, on the Airbnb platform because Airbnb is it's just a marketing platform, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't own any real estate on any rooms. So uh, like I say, I just see it as a threat and it's just something you just have to, it's just something you have to deal with. As, as just, yeah. And, 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 and I, I do want to add, I do want to add. So where my hotels are located, Airbnb is not, is, is not an issue. There's not even like Uber or Lyft where my hotels are located. Like every time I visit my hotel, I got to figure out how to get back to the airport. I know how to get to the hotel from my airport, but I know how to get back because there's not those, those, those types of services there. Right. So I think a lot of times people, when they think of Airbnb, they just think of them and how they travel. But there are so many different small towns in the United States that nobody really travels to. There's either not a hotel or not. It doesn't make sense to have an Airbnb or short-term rental. So it, you know, it won't really. It 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 doesn't really affect us. It doesn't really affect where my hotels are located. So does that influence your investing decisions going forward? Like, would you invest in a hotel in Atlanta where there's tons of those then? No. So how I look at my thing, well, for one, Atlanta too expensive. I don't like to go into markets. It's already really expensive. I'm more, so my investment thesis, I like to, you know, invest in limited service hotels, extended stay hotels uh, where there's a lot of upside you know, the major markets like New York and Atlanta, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's just expensive for me. So it's just something that I don't really, uh, I'm not really looking at at the moment. Um, if it makes sense, if it's a really good deal or a value add deal, I'm not looking to it. I probably look into something maybe in the suburbs of Atlanta, but I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't do anything in, in those, those type of major cities, you know, with the political aspect and the dirt is really expensive. It's just, you know, it's, it's just, Sometimes stuff is just overpriced and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true in every asset class, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like why, you know, just being greedy. 
So when you're looking at a market and, and maybe a natural question I had was to, on the banner. So whether it's a Hyatt or a, an independent, how does the banner work? Is it essentially you're paying a franchise fee and then you've got to have certain brand standards or how does it work? Like how, how do you get either like a Hyatt or just like an Econo Lodge? Yeah, that's a great question. So going into, so you're buying into a franchise, you're becoming a franchisee. So you do have to adhere to brand standards. You know, you go back and forth with the negotiations. If you don't maintain those brand standards, they will take the flag away. I'm sure y'all have seen like the East Western or, you know, a Motel 9 or a Super 10 or something. And, and you know, because they, they probably lost their flag because they weren't adhering to the brand standards, you know, that the brand put out, you know, um, because when you check into a Hampton Inn, in New York and you checking into Hampton Inn in America's Georgia, it doesn't, it doesn't like as a guest, it's a it's a Hampton Inn. You don't know who own it, you don't know who manage it. That that's not, you're not thinking about that when you're walking the door. You're just walking in the door. I'm checking into this Hampton Inn, right? When I'm I'm walking into a higher regency Atlanta or I'm working, I'm walking into a higher regency Chicago. You don't know who owns it. You don't really care. You just know it's a Hyatt, and this is the type of surface that I expect when I walk into a Hyatt, and that's and that's what that's what a part of brand standards. Are there any corporately owned hotels? Like, would would Hilton own their own hotels, or is it all like independent operators that have that flag? There are very few. A lot of the brands are getting out of that space. They may have managed. So some of the brands they manage, like Ritz Carlton is managed by, you know, Ritz Carlton. So Four Seasons is managed by just to really protect their brand standards. Uh, a lot of the major Marriott's, like big box Marriott's, are typically marriage, ma managed by Marriott. Some hotels, they may do like JV partnerships, depending if the deal makes sense. They may do a JV but as far as owning, not too many, not because the Hyatt, they used to own the Hyatt Regency Atlanta and they recently sold that maybe like right before COVID. So, and I never saw that coming. So the, the brands are getting away with really get, getting those, those ownership, you know, those hotels out of their, their, their portfolio and they just take the management fee, hmm. which is Sorry. brilliant because they don't have to, they don't have to deal with the operation. I mean, excuse me, they don't have to deal with the cost. Like if they think about when, you know, it's a 1200, you know, 60 room hotel and you have to renovate it. That is expensive. You know, you're talking about, you know, close to a hundred million dollars that you have to renovate probably every, every seven to 10 years, you know? So from a CapEx standpoint, from a brand standpoint, it makes sense to just, you know, just collect management fees off of that, which is typically three to four two to four of your annual revenue i mean two to four two two to four percent of your you know recurring revenue that they're they're collecting plus the franchise fees so it just makes more sense for a business model to keep it you know not own it well and i think what the opportunity is, is that it gives investors like yourself an opportunity to to be an investor in it and have a, a like a brand like i i I don't know very much about hotels at all. So I'm trying to come at this from the standpoint that I'm genuinely interested in just trying to ask questions on if I did want to invest in hotels, what would I need to know? Uh, I'll, I'll give everybody a chance to ask questions. So feel free to uh, put anything in the chat if you have any questions for Dave on, or if you even want to uh, put your video on 
and uh, and Mike, happy to have you ask a question directly to her. I'll try to keep asking some questions that I, that I think would be uh, interesting, but feel free to, if I'm missing anything or you want to have Davon clarify, please feel free to add that in. I guess the the natural question uh, that would lead me to is first time investor, what should you do? You maybe you have some experience in other asset classes. You have some money. You really like the idea of hotels. Maybe you just think that the leisure travelers are going to come back. There's there's going to be that continued appetite for hotels. So you want to get into it. What do you do to start as a uh, an interested hotel investor? Well, just like commercial real estate, there's a lot of different asset classes, right? So same thing with hotels. There's a lot of different layers once you get into the hotel space. So the thing I always say is start off with your ownership or your investment thesis. Some of the, I mentioned some of the hotel types earlier, you know, limited service, select service, extended stay. There's actually different, there's actually over 20 different hotel types, right? So think of creating your ownership thesis just like you have when you're investing. So that way you can be more focused so that way you won't get overwhelmed. Right. Another thing you want to look at, you want to look at what brands that you want to invest in. You want to look at which markets you want to invest in. So all of that is a part of your ownership thesis. Why are you investing? Are you a more of an equity person? Are you more cash flow person? You know, are you, uh, you know, you're more of a buy and hold, you know, are you a value add person? So those are the questions that you want to be asking yourself before you even get started. Because there is a like, there's over 59,000 hotels in the United States, right? So if you're trying to Right. So if you're trying to buy one, you're going to be like, it's like throwing a needle and it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Like you're going to go crazy. You're just going to give up. Right. Or you could really just be making the wrong decision. And hotels are capital intensive. Like they're just extremely expensive. Right. Um, you know, and they're more of a longer term investment. They're not, it's not like a, a, you know, flip. You know what I mean? So you're typically in there for about like three to five years. And so your money, your money is tied up. So at least at least three years, right? So you want to make an investment that's good for you and your portfolio. You know, I would say start off investing in limited select or extended state hotels. You know, those I don't want to call them recession proof, but those are the types of hotels that people are going to stay at regardless of how the economy is doing. Right. Mm-hmm. They're not going to stay at the Mandarin Oriental. They're not going to stay at the Four Seasons. They stay there you know, when it's, when they want to have fun, right? When they want to enjoy the, the roots of their labor, right? And you want to also have a consumer mindset and you want to have an ownership mindset and not a consumer mindset, right? A lot of times when people, when they start investing in hotels, they go into, well, this is the hotel I like to say it. Yeah, the hotel you like to say it is probably extremely expensive, but from an ownership standpoint, how to own that. So for instance, let's say you want to buy a Mandarin Oriental because you love staying there. This is a beautiful hotel. That is a very expensive hotel to own, okay? Because guess what? It's certain amenities that you have to offer 24-7. So regardless if your occupancy is at 10% or 100%, you still have to offer those type of amenities. So from an ownership standpoint, what's the biggest thing, right? Labor. So if you have if you have to offer these different amenities, like having a restaurant open 24-7, but it's only three people in the hotel, you know what I mean? So those are the things that you want to look at from an ownership standpoint and the decisions you want to make from an investment from investing. And then yeah, the next well- Oh, go for it. I was going to say that was, that was very well said, uh, but I, I cut you off. So uh, please continue. No, okay. So after you figured out like, okay, you know what, this is, these are the type of brands that I want to invest in. Like these are the type of markets. Like you kind of got your investment thesis together. Then you want to start underwriting. 
right? So you want to, excuse me, you want to start looking for deals, right? So the so there's not an MLS for hotels, just like any other commercial real estate site. So you can go to LoopNet, you can go to 10X, it's an auction, you can go to Craigslist, you can go to these different websites to find hotels. Really, really work with a hotel broker, like a broker that, that only works with hotels. Those are good because they can, you know, get you deals and, you know, off-market deals and stuff like that. So working with a broker is good. That's actually how I found my hotel, right? So having a relationship with a hotel broker so you can find deals, really learning how to underwrite hotels. So really understanding those metrics that I was talking about, understanding the STR reports, which stands for Smith Travel Research. So really understanding how to underwrite it. And once you underwrite a hotel, you know, once you like, okay, you know what, I like this, this makes sense. This will give me the return that I'm looking for. The margins look good. Now you want to submit an offer, right? You know what? I'm going to submit this offer based off of this. Okay. You know, submit your offer if it's accepted. Then you go through the, you know, go through the approval process. You have to apply to become a franchise. So that's just kind of high level of what that, that process. So with the real estate component, the fundamentals are the same. It's just the business aspect. It's just some of the nuances, right? Getting the brand approval, you know, the appraisal, the property inspection report, you know, if you do bring on a management company, working with a management company and finding the right one. Like, I can't describe how much it's so important to find the right management company. So if you're a first time owner, you know, having the right location, having that brand. I know I meet a lot of people that want to start their own brand. We do not need another hotel brand. It's like over a hundred hotel brands. We do not need another one. Wyndham just announced one like last week. And I'm like, why? So we don't need another hotel brand. Uh, there's plenty of brands for you to choose from. Uh, you know, brands even have soft brands where it's, you know, best of both worlds. You're an independent hotel, you know, using the brand's reservation system. So an example would be the autograph collection by Marriott. Curio is by Hilton. Um, you know, Hyatt has a, a tribute um, Hilton has tapestry. I mean, excuse me, Hyatt has Unbound. You know, so those are the different brands that you can look into if you want to create like a, a, a soft brand or create your own brand, but still use the, the hotel's reservation system. So that's like a high level nutshell, the, the acquisition process. Yeah, very well said. And there's uh, something you said a few times was an investment thesis. And I think that that's such a powerful uh, message, uh, regardless of what asset class someone wants to invest in, they need to have an investment thesis yeah. on here's, here's my plan, here's my objectives, here's my exit strategy. And, and it sounds like it's obviously quite important in the hotel business as well. We were talking a little bit before we started about crowd crowdfunding. Can you mm -hmm. elaborate on that a little bit more? Because I, I think for, for someone that's overwhelmed by the process of, of being a first-time investor in, in hotels, it could be an, a good opportunity for them. Sure, sure. So I always like to say there's a passive and an active investor, right? That's what helps make the deal work. Well, that'll make it work, right? So you have an active investor like myself who's putting a deal together, raising the capital, working with the brands, lenders, all that fun stuff. And then you have a passive investor who's like, I don't want to do all of that. You know, that's not my jam. I'm, you know, I have some extra cash or, you know, my retirement look all right. I want to get, I want to diversify my portfolio. So I want to invest passively. And so another way to in, invest into deals is through crowdfunding, right? So I created a crowdfunding platform called Vester, launched in July, and where you can invest passively into commercial real estate deals, including hotels. Uh, we don't, I don't know anything about an industry. It's so funny how you said industrial early. I don't know anything about this space, but 
you know, if someone wants to put it on our platform, they can. I just don't know enough about it. Uh, but we stick with, and I'm okay to say that, you know, my specialty is hotels. And um, when I was looking to raise capital for my hotel, I couldn't find a crowdfunding platform for it. So that's why I created it. And so with our platform, not only can you invest, but you can also raise capital for your deals. So think of us as a as a, an extension, as a marketing platform to help you raise capital for your for your deals. Uh, for anyone who's ever gone through the raising capital process, it's it can be it can be straining, it can be exhausting, um, and it could be difficult with trying to find private capital from from building it from networks of folks that you don't know. So so that's what Vester is. It's um, to check it out. It's a V as in Victor E S T E R R dot and we actually have some deals on the website now and so please be sure to sign up for our newsletter so that way you can stay up to date when we have um new information and upcoming deals i'm curious to learn a little bit more on the crowdfunding side from a real estate standpoint so i'm guessing the investors do not need to be accredited not with my platform oh i can i definitely put it in a chat hold on so you do not, that's a very great question. I'm so glad you asked that. So you do not have to be an accredited investor to invest on the deals on our platform. Now, some deals, they may specify, hey, we only want, you know, accredited investors, but the deal that we have on now, you can be either an accredited investor or a non-accredited investor. And so for those who don't know what an accredited investor is, an accredited investor is someone who makes over 200000 a year that has a or they have a net worth of a million dollars or more excluding their primary residence, or you have a combined income with your spouse at 300,000. So that eliminates a lot of people who are non-accredited investors who actually wants to invest. And also from a, cap a raising capital standpoint, you know, you have a deal and you may want some of your friends and family to invest, but they're not accredited investors. So now with our platform, folks can actually invest in it. And as a crowdfunded investor, what does your ownership stake look like? Or do you get part of the company or what, what security would you have as a crowdfunded investor? So we'll take, so from a, from, you mean from a passive investor, what does that, yeah. so they're investing yeah. directly into the asset. So they're, yep, they're investing directly in the asset. So it also depends on how we're structured. So if the issuer is like, Hey, you know, you invested x and then this will be your percentage of equity so let's say i'm just making stuff you invested twenty five thousand in this particular hotel asset so this will be your this will be your your equity percentage or your ownership state from you investing this amount and what type of returns are projected knowing of course that it's there's risk and uncertainty but like what what gets projected it varies because it's, it's based off the hotel's performance, but it can range from like 20, 10 to 20%. But again, that's, that's, it's, on, it's on a per deal basis. There's no deal that's the same. So it really varies from a, a, you know, a return standpoint, what it will look like. And then on the flip side for someone that wants to raise the capital, what's the process like to put a property on there? So the, the, uh, the process, what it will look like, you would, uh, you know, give us your pitch deck. So go to Vesta.com, go to the raise capital section and you upload your pitch deck. Uh, my compliance team will take a look at it. And if it, you know, we'll do some background, you know, check, we'll, and, you know, we'll kind of high level background check uh, just to make sure that we're in compliance, make sure you have the documents. Another thing that we look at 
the probably the biggest thing is you have to have site control or you have to be under contract. So if you're not under contract or if you don't have site control of the deal, it's not going to make it to the platform. And so we'll review it. And if it works out, then we'll go to the next phase, which is to go through the com compliance standpoint uh, to get you get you actually on the platform so we can start. So you can start raising capital or start doing a, rate, a raising capital campaign. I do see a question in the chat. Is that since the real estate and operations are all in one company, the investors seem to be aligned with ownership? Yes, they will be investing. If I'm understanding your question, if in the passive investor invests in the hotel, then yes, they would be investing in both the business and the hotel uh, and the real estate. So they'll be investing in the hotel business as well as the real estate. Now, depending on how it's structured, that investors would be passive investors, meaning limited partners, so they may not have a say-so or voting rights in the project. And most of those, I'm guessing, would be set up under that syndicate structure of a you being Correct. the GP yeah. and then everyone else Correct. is an LP? Correct. Oh, that, yeah. That's very cool. That's, I, I, I like the idea that you're going to have to add another moniker to your name. You're going to have to be like the hotel queen and the crowdfunding queen pretty soon. Ooh, I'll take it. <laughs> Uh, very cool. Uh, so I, 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 I don't want to, to Oh, sorry. The, uh, you're, you had a bit of a lag on the internet there. I might, sorry to cut you oh, off. No, sorry about that. I would say, I, is it okay if I take that? I'm still in it. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I practically insist. <laughs> uh, I, I think that wraps up all the questions that, that I had for you, Devon, but I'll, I'll certainly open it up. If anyone has any questions again, feel free to put it in the chat, or if you want to turn on your uh, video and your audio, we'll certainly uh, leave time uh, for some questions here. Uh, Susan said, excellent zoom. Thanks Thank for that. You, and, and agreed as great, great insight you had there, Devon, you, you packed a ton of value into like 40 minutes. So I think that was awesome. Uh, okay. Uh, Susan, just say thumbs up. Thanks for that. Uh, any other questions uh, or, or, or comments, feedback for Devon? And I, I just would give everybody a minute. Uh, Devon, where, where can people reach out to you if they want to just touch base or learn more about what, what you've got on the go? So I am on LinkedIn. And I'm also on Instagram. So you can find me on LinkedIn and, and, and Instagram. And you can just go to Vester.com too to see. We do have some deals on there. Um, and we have some deals coming up. So we have some deals in the pipeline that I'm super excited about. We actually just launched in July. Uh, I can tell you this has probably been the hardest but most rewarding journey. So super excited when we got our first deal uh, uh, listed. I'll even be more excited once we get it, once we get the capital raise. And it's a woman. So for my women that's listening, we need more women hotel owners and investors. So uh, definitely, definitely uh, check it out. It's a passion of mine that's turned into a purpose. So please connect with me. If y'all have any questions, definitely find me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with you all. I have awesome. a question. Oh, yep. Go, go ahead. So, Devon, and thank you, Ralph, for hosting such an amazing um, Zoom. I am currently on the residential side, but totally um, interested and have been interested in transitioning into the commercial space, but just not really knowing where and how to start. Like there is a residential coach on every corner, right? If you want to learn the residential side of it, but for commercial, it just seems like it's just no real blueprint, right? So what would be your advice for someone? who is in a residential space with no commercial experience, but interested in niching down 
where does one start? Where does one go? I'm about to put it in the chat right here. There is a, I actually have an academy uh, talking about commercial real estate. It's called Vester Academy and where you can learn about hotels, where you can learn about multifamily, where you can learn about daycares, where you can learn the fundamentals of commercial real estate. And it's a group, it's a group coaching program as well. So, you know, I know there's a lot of programs where it's just online and you're like, oh my gosh, I have all these like questions. I don't know where to go. So you're going to be speaking with live coaches once a month to answer any question that you may have to help you on your journey. Yeah. And I just add on to that as well as that it, it, you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose right at the beginning, because like you said, there's just very little information out there compared to the residential space where everybody's a sales trainer and willing to uh, <laughs> offer, offer advice. There's very little on the commercial side. So I, I would yeah. agree with Davon is that to look at something where, where you like that mentorship and online uh, learning and having someone that, that can answer questions, I think is, is great. So uh, thanks for putting that in the chat as well, Davon. Yeah, uh, no, thank you for that. Yeah, it's because you know what? It's I'm glad you brought that up because on my journey, I wish I would have, I would have paid for the coaching, I would have paid for the mentorship. I really would have because it would have made my life, um, it would have made my my path a lot easier. My money, you know, when I had access to, you know, starting off in college, I had access to a lot of cash and I didn't spend it correctly, right? So, if I would have really knew about the value of real estate and owning real estate, oh my gosh, I don't know how many hotels I would have had now, you know? So really just having that information really, really to help people get into industry. I was mentor for a year and contact let me. Yeah, isn't that great? And a contact let you shadow. Exactly, right? You know, so having that, having that, and that's one of the things with our coaches you know, with our program, you know, and even, even with my investors, I have, matter of fact, one of my investors, she is about to own her own hotel. Another investor, she wants to own her own hotel. So just having that coaching and, you know, just having that, that one-on-one -on -one relationship and just having that, that mentorship really does help. And it, 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 it does make a difference. Yep. I completely As long agree. as you're willing to do the work now. I <laughs> yes. will add that. Some folks, they take these courses and they just like, they thought I don't have my I'm like, well, did you did you look for one? And they're like, oh no. Like you need to be how you gonna get your it's not gonna just fall in your lap. Like you gotta look for one. Yeah, it's it's a two-step process. You need to learn and then you need to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, great, great question. Uh, and thanks, Lou, for the the comment on that as well, but just uh, emphasizing the value of mentorship. Uh, well, well, I think that that's a great spot to wrap up on, Davon. That was awesome. I, I, I love the energy. I loved all the value you provided in that. I think that that was a ton of insight. So really do want to appreciate you coming on. And what when this is live, we'll put links to everything that you mentioned as well, just uh, for those that are tuning in uh, after this. Uh, but once again, just really wanted to say thanks to you and thanks to everybody that joined in for this live as well. Yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yep, that was thank fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.